All right, everybody, we're ready to rock and roll. I'm uh, having Amanda check the reminders. Participants are off a little bit this month, and I just want to make sure we've got everybody. Yeah, there we go. We're starting to see it climb up a little bit. I want to make sure all the reminders went off the way they're supposed to. It's uh, at a different time this month than it has been at previous times, and we're a little bit earlier in the month, but I'm traveling to my mastermind the latter part of the month, so I'm going to do it live, which I really want to do. Uh, I got to do it now. So let's make sure I, I heard that. I know you can hear me. Um, can somebody just put in the uh, chat that you can see my screen? Uh, no problem. Good. Um, so as uh, an aside, uh, some housekeeping. Let's see. I've got a message from Amanda. Everything is okay. Delivered well. So all right, good. Now I see the numbers starting to climb a little bit now. Um, so the, uh, the goal for today is going to be to focus on, uh, converting in the initial, the initial consultation room. But before we go there, some housekeeping things, um, uh, an emergency announcement is going to be going out, uh, for those of you who are attending a boot camp that, uh, the rooms, uh, the hotel just notified us today that it's like at 95%. Um, I've got my wife's notes. I'm going to make a video and, and probably put that out later today or tomorrow. It is consulting week for me, so I'm on the phone uh, nine hours a day. So um, I, I think I'll get that out by tomorrow. But if you're registered to come to boot camp, if you're a Partners Club member or a Junior Partners Club member um, or you're a golden ticket holder and, and you're coming to boot camp, uh, you need to get your rooms booked like immediately that that option is on the dashboard or we've sent out links and emails um they're just it's november in phoenix and um i say it all the time but we literally got the warning uh so it's a big deal uh, also around the corner um for boot camp is uh just you know to refresh everybody's mind we've got mike mccallowitz coming um and we've got a couple other keynote speakers that I'm going to release about in the next couple of days. We've got a great event planned with Casino Night. I'm really looking forward to that. And, and what I'm going to talk about today is something that's I peeled a piece from what I taught in, at the last Partners Club event in August. And the reason why I thought it was really important to do this was because um, while there's no way for me to give you, you know, two and a half, three days worth of content in, in an hour or less than an hour. I, I wanted to try to give you the one thing that I thought would help uh, make a difference in your practice today. Cause that's really what this is all about is how, how do you make a difference in your practice today, tomorrow? Um, and, and so today we're gonna, we're gonna really be focusing on, on that one topic inside initial consultation. Okay. so. Good, it looks like everything is good to go here. So um, today we're going to cover this idea of the single word that'll change the way you manage your initial consultations and the key word there is forever. I think one of the things that people miss when I talk about uh, the lessons that I teach is that if you implement these strategies and they work, uh, they work forever. Um, and whether you invest your time today or you're investing in a program that's helping you understand how to implement them because you're working with your peers, 
the investment that you make is is pales in comparison to the return because it's forever. I mean, there's things that I was taught 20 years ago that I'm still doing today that has paid dividends, you know, wh whether I paid for it with my time or my money back then or not. That, that's a really key distinction when we talk about this. This is lessons you'll learn and, and keep for a long time. I had a client come up to me the other day at an event that was not my event and wasn't his event. And he's a lawyer. And, and he just said, you know, I, I couldn't thank you more. Uh, he said that that lesson that you taught me when we were working together, I know we haven't talked in a year and a half or two years, he said, but my practice is at all record highs. My income has never been higher. My free time is higher. And it's all because of this one thing that you taught me. Now, it's not the one thing that I'm going to teach today, but it's one of the clicks on the dial. Second thing we're going to talk about is, is this uh, tactical strategy. So we're going to talk about the strategy behind um, this initial consultation to make sure that you um, understand the structure of what it is we're talking about. And then the final thing is a paint-by-the-numbers system. So I'm going to give you a step-by-step -step today. Um, now, uh, you're going to get the examples. What you won't get that we were able to do, and it's, it's impossible to duplicate in this format, is the workshop, right? So where you, you, you guys and gals could actually break apart and workshop this together and, and come up with your right um, structure. Uh, scripting, I think, is the best word because we're going to be spending some time on scripting today. Now, it's really important uh, that we don't ever skip this part because remember, um, the reason why we're doing this, the reason why I do this and what gets me to wake up in the morning and want to go to work uh, to help attorneys to do this is because I want them to go from chaos to freedom. Um, you know, there's times when you're going to step back into what feels like chaos, but um, it's probably just a chaotic version of healthy once you become free. Um, and I find that it usually takes three word, three years of, of, you know, working nine to five and making a living from five to nine to get your way out of chaos into freedom. I have seen it happen much faster uh, in, in a number of situations. Um, but, you know, when you start looking at, well, how do we define chaos? Um, first of all, the idea is, you know, here's where you are today. And if you do nothing different than what you did today, um, your future will be about the same. If you take some steps today and you take the wrong steps, uh, your business is liable to end up in free up in chaos, or you might only take a few wrong steps and you could end up in, in insanity. Um, but you can take the right steps and you can start stepping towards being a healthy firm, um, or you can take you know the ultimate steps and end up being a firm. Uh, that you own that sets you free. So let's define it. Um, if you're in chaos, you're in debt um, up to your eyeballs. You work seven days a week just to keep ahead of the curve. Um, you have no time. You can't get home in time for dinner, take a vacation without your cell phone or your laptop. You've got no money uh, to speak of, uh, and you've got no plan for retirement. Certainly, you have no idea how you're going to get out of it, and, and the business is running you. If you're in the insanity phase, that kind of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, you're living month to month and, and you work at least six days a week, sometimes more, um, and it really completely depends on you. Uh, if, if, you know, your mantra is, if I stop, the business stops. Um, there's probably no profit. In other words, your profit is kind of either the cash that you keep that you don't deposit or the um, or the, the your, your pay, you know, that it's not a W-2, it's just your draw, that's your profit. It's usually where insanity lies. It's just this constant circular event that you just can't get off the, 
can't get off the merry-go-round. Again, if you do nothing uh, three years from now, different than you've done today, you'll probably have the same situation that you're in right now. If you've got a healthy firm, um, it means your staff runs the business. So you're not required to be there. It, it can happen without you, which means you can go on vacation. Um, you can take weekends off. You can you know, leave the office early. The, the staff will still get the job done and you own the business and you, you can still be the lawyer but um, if you so choose, but you don't have to. And you make profit. Um, maybe not as much as you'd like, but after you're paid, after a market-based wage for you and your spouse, you make profit. And so that's how we know we have a healthy business. Uh, freedom is where you've got you know, $500,000 in liquid. We all know that you can't, re well, most of us know you can't re retire on $500,000. I mean, if you just run the math out, you can figure out why. But um, what I'm suggesting is we're not living on phantom uh, assets like, you know, just pure appreciation and house value. Now, if you've got commercial buildings and, and whatnot, and they're all paid for, and you really have, you know, equity built in them, um, I can understand that position, but I, I'm really looking for $500,000 in, in liquid, the ability to put your fingers on it within a, a few days. It just gives you that feeling of comfort. Um, you work three days a week if, if, because you want to, not because you have to, because you really love to work, but you've got other things that you want to focus on as well. Maybe additional businesses, maybe golf, maybe fishing, maybe whatever, playing with the grandkids, whatever it is that is important to you or your kids. Um, and you have passive income. I just read an interesting thing about this the other day. Uh, actually, I read about it this morning. A writer, uh, a book was recommended to me, doesn't like this word passive income. It's like an oxymoron to them. Um, it, because, and he gave the example that said, you know, if you have a merry-go-round of 2,000 people and you jump on the merry-go-round and everybody's on the merry-go-round and they ask you to push and, and you know, you try to do it and you really can't, but you, you, you do everything you possibly can to get this thing to move and it, you move a little bit and then you push a little bit harder and it just, you get a little bit of movement and finally you get this momentum to, to get this merry-go-round to push and you push it and you push it and you push it and all of a sudden it's spinning on its own. If you don't keep pushing on it, um, the the, the merry-go-round will eventually stop. I thought it was a great example, and he says that's kind of that's what people say passive income. He says I think that they mis misrepresent the fact that it still takes work to keep your business going, and, and it does. But it it also is nice to be free, whether you can roll over in bed or roll out of, out of bed in, in the morning, and you know you're going to make money. And it takes very little effort and, and leverage to to keep the merry-go-round going. And that's what I mean by passive income. So I want to see you free. That's my goal. I am free. I want you to be free. There was time when I wasn't free. There was time when I was free and then wasn't free. So I've experienced all of those emotions and windows. Um, and my, my hope and prayer is that I'll never go back to not being free again. Um, I believe that's true with the systems I teach and I practice in my own business. Um, we're, we can get to freedom in less than three years. Um, I've seen it happen in a year. Uh, and that's the ultimate goal for some. Some people don't want to go that fast, and that's okay, too. You have to go at your pace. We like to say we meet you where you're at around here. This is the reason why we're talking about this today. Why should you listen to what I have to say? I, I didn't put the names because these came off of um, uh, these came off of the queue, and so the queue is private, and so since there's liable to be some guests here today, I didn't want to share names. Um, but so you just have to take my word for it. These are from actual clients. Um, you know, you know me when I talk about testimonials, I, I, I want you to have the first and last name and city and state when you can. 
Um, in this particular case, I'm not going to do that because it, it just came off the queue. So it, it says, hey, everybody, came back from the August event, event first month of implementing the non-attorney consultant. Our baseline is average of a little under 11 hires a month. As of today, we're at 21 hires a month. Now, th this is talking about this concept of non-attorney versus attorney consultant. We might touch upon that a little bit today, but not a lot. If you've got questions about that, you can ask it at the end. But still, the person, they're not attorney consultant, started using these new closing strategies we're talking about and went from 11 to 23. And, and then this one was, uh, does the priming uh, use of yes questions lead conversions? Yes. Does the Richard James sales system work? Yes. Do clients then drop huge cash on the table to close the deal? Yes. Uh, it went three for three, all paid in full, the last one in cash, not a bad day so far. Next one said, three S's got me and my partner $7,500 before noon. Um, and then another one came in and said, we also closed the deal today with four yeses. Now, there's a couple important things about this. Some of you are going to be on the call today in your partners club. And so you may have been at the last event. Um, and so I, what I know is, here's what I know to be true. Not 100% of the members at partners club decided to implement this fully into their practice. And not of the people who didn't implement it, not 100% of them actually saw the posts on the queue or maybe the inspiration wasn't enough to get them to want to do it or maybe they just got busy when they got back and they've been kind of neglecting putting this into play but i'm here to tell you that it uh, the reason i chose to do this again is because not only did i think it was going to be great for those non-partners club members but i thought that this was going to be great um, for everybody in the program as well as a reminder of, of what you really need to be paying attention to uh, this system I'm going to teach you today, this one little breakout se session, is so important. If you're a Partners Club member and a Junior Partners Club member, I highly recommend you grab the recording um, of, of everything, the video and, or the audio where you can hear the, the feedback and the workshops. I think that's vital. There's some of that that's going to get lost in today's conversation. Um, but I, I no longer wonder if this works, folks. It, it just works. Um, you know, Selling is um, sometimes a four-letter word in law. We're going to talk about more about that in, in a second. But uh, like always, uh, it, we're time, it's time to momentarily set aside any disbeliefs, genuine distrust of all things good, too good to be true. Uh, if this is your first time in my world, uh, we want to start with this idea of how can we make this work, not this won't work in my town, this won't work with my staff, this won't work with my practice area. We have to come at this from a can-do attitude. So... Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just type in the chat if to answer this question, are you willing to say for today that I'm willing to say, how can I make this work? I'm going to put aside all disbelief just for the next 45, 50 minutes and just give me a yes. All right, Cynthia, fantastic. So, okay, I want you to affirm this, right? And so I'm not going to turn on the mic for everybody to repeat because it gets echoey, but we are going to do the same thing that we always do because I never don't, I never don't do this. And we're going to raise our right hand and repeat after me and it says, my business is not different from yours. My business is not different from yours, right? Make sure that you're taking that oath seriously for the next 50 minutes. Um, what I teach you to do, I do. I don't teach in a theory. I work on this with my sales reps all the time. I have a consultant, but I pay to just pay attention to this inside of my business to make sure that what I'm talking to you about today actually happens and so you want to make sure that it's happening in your business also and if we accomplish this goal the way that i want you to accomplish this goal we're really going to be focusing on this session so the perfect client life cycle 
Um, we, we talk about it. For those of you who've never heard it before, you've just kind of landed on our island, and maybe this is your first call with us, you're a new client or you're a guest, um, that we're talking about, we measure the number of leads that we get in versus the number of appointments that are set versus the number of people that show up to their appointment versus the number of people who hire the firm at, you know, they come to the appointment, but then they decide to hire the firm. Uh, then the number of people who pay their bill uh, as compared to the number of people who hire the firm and then the referrals. And today we're going to be focusing on this section of the new client. So we're, we're paying attention to this part of the perfect client life cycle today. Now, here's what's really important for you to know. A couple of things. First of all, most attorneys, so here, here's kind of what I run into in the world of attorneys. Uh, oftentimes, the attorneys are the ones that meet with every client. So the owner of the firm are, is the one who meets with every client. Uh, if they have other people meet with clients occasionally too, um, oftentimes, two things happen. One, they think they know what the associate or non-attorney, whoever is meeting with the prospective new clients, they think they know what their close rate is. So they, they'll guess, they'll think 60, 70, or 80%. And they're positive that their own close, light, close rate is like 100%. Like they just, they know if they meet with somebody that they're gonna close the deal. That people, they love, people know that they're knowledgeable, they've got a great reputation in the community. If they walk in the door, they're closing the deal. Now listen, if you're a solo practitioner, your practice area is built solely on referrals and you meet with every prospect yourself and everybody that calls your firm sets an appointment, everybody that sets an appointment shows up, it wouldn't surprise me if everybody hired you because you're 100% referrals. But if you're like most of the attorneys out there that are not 100% referrals and the way that you're going to grow a sustainable business that's going to set you free is you have to use marketing of any kind, whether it be Google or pay-per-click or television or radio or direct mail or whatever, right? Um, then chances are pretty good. Not everybody is hiring you. And what you believe to be true about the numbers may not necessarily be true. I'm not saying that it isn't, but I'm saying that in my experience, what I find is when attorneys, when I used to sell Infusionsoft as a service for CRM to measure the perfect client lifecycle, and now Four Eyes, the guys over at Four Eyes, Bert Diener and his team, they run that whole world. But my experience was that when attorneys would come in, I would initially ask them what they thought their conversion numbers were. And in, in, the, in the consultation room, they always thought it was much higher than it actually was. But then when they got the real numbers, they were shocked to find out how many people left the room without hiring the attorney. Uh, Bert confirms this. They find it all the time with attorneys. The numbers they think they have and what is actually happening are two completely different things. Now, the other thing that I will tell you uh, is that attorneys really struggle with this idea um, that they struggle with this idea that selling is okay. Uh, let's see if I can't pull up a screen for me here for a second. Oh, oh, there we go. That helps me. Thank you. So um, they struggle with this idea that selling is for some reason not okay. In other words, there's something kind of morally or ethically wrong with selling in the consult room. Um, so listen, I owned uh, funeral homes for many of you know that. So I owned funeral homes for years and um, you know, you had, even though it's a really emotional time, I still had to use basic sales techniques in the funeral business, even though we didn't sell, 
and I didn't come across as a salesman or sham well. I know I talk at 500 words a minute or 250 words a minute with occasional gusts up to 500. I know I can come across a little sham wowy every now and then. I, I get that. You know, but in the film business, I didn't do that. Um, I talk very softly in a calm voice and slow and uh, with, with precision. And I really made sure that I didn't create any emotional highs or lows. And but I still used sales techniques. And there's a reason for that that we're going to talk about in just a minute. So we're going to talk about the one word today that we're going to use to increase the conversions inside of this section. Um, uh, so, so let's talk about that. So what do you think the one word is? Somebody want to type it in the, uh, somebody talk, type it in the, in the chat. Does anybody, I, I know some of you already know. Does anybody else that doesn't know, know what the one word we're going to focus on today? I'll give you a hint. It's already typed in there, but it was typed in there from the answer to the other question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Joe Jepson. Yes. Uh, it's yes. The one word we're going to focus on today is yes. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, don't freak out. If you're just landing here for the first time, you, you'll get my point in a second. But if we can't get the prospect to say now, let me say this differently. If you can get the prospect to say yes regularly in the initial consultation, your ability to get them to say yes to hiring your firm at the end goes up significantly. It's psychology. I'm not going to get into the psychology of it. We just know that it works because I don't have a lot of time today. So here's what I want you to do. I need you to just trust me that it works. So the answer is yes. However, um, we, we want to kind of go through where this is going to happen. Okay. So I want to kind of focus on what part of the strategy um, that we're going to, this is going to come up. So let me come and lay this out for you. So for just, I want you to imagine for a second that what we're going to pay attention to right now inside of this initial consultation strategy is what happens the moment the new potential client shows up to your firm. All right. So um, if you do everything over the phone, it's a little slightly little different conversation, but not completely different. But for the purposes of today's discussion, we're going to be focusing on this strategy as if they're coming to your office. All right. So somebody's coming to your office. So the first thing that we're measuring inside of this strategy is the micromanaging of the client experience. Now, I'm not going to have time to go through all this today. I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you what it is. And underneath, I'm telling you whose job it is. So if you're not familiar with me and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say nurse, to be clear, I equate the initial consultation process that I teach to be very similar to the nurse doctor routine that's used in a, in a, in a uh, doctor's office. So when you go to the doctor's office, you know, um, you see the nurse first and then the nurse takes all of your vitals and then puts the chart on the outside of the door. And then the doctor or today the physician's assistant usually grabs the chart, reads the chart, reviews the chart, and then walks in and you meet with the doctor. The doctor diagnoses, prescribes, and then the nurse comes back in, all right? In your world, or in the world I'm talking about here, the nurse is the receptionist, the role we want to have the receptionist have, 
Now, depending on how busy your firm is, the receptionist may not have any other jobs besides this role, uh, or he or she may have multiple jobs depending on other things you have to do. The one thing, as you know, or you may not know, I don't want your receptionist doing is answering the phone. Not going to go there. However, so the micromanaging the client experience happens from the nurse. This is where she's he or she is uh, handing a menu of drinks, greeting the person by name, uh, ensuring that the front office foyer is in good uh, shape, that the magazines are where they need to be, and that the testimonial reels are where they are supposed to be, and if whatever's playing on the TV is supposed to play on the TV, and whatever music is playing is supposed to be playing, and whatever testimonial books are supposed to be out are out. And whatever paperwork you're supposed to be managed and, and, and collect, she's supposed to, he or she's supposed to be collecting uh, is collected, okay? So that's the, the nurse's responsibility. Um, the set, step two is preparation and story. So once the nurse is done, the nurse takes the person into the consult room, collects all of the questionnaires, the vital statistics, right? puts the clipboard on the outside of the door or whatever the system is in your office. And then the doctor, the either the attorney or the non-attorney consultant then takes over. So they review the document uh, to har that harvest all the information, the qu initial questionnaire. They set a basic strategy of where they are and you know, kind of gives them their balance of what kind of case they're dealing with, maybe what the possible options are. And then they're gonna step into the room and they're basically going to diagnose. Now they're going to diagnose through stories. All right. So the preparation is is the uh, is what the doctor does in advance of stepping in the room. So every practice area is different. Every case type is different. But they're going to need some time to actually go through that questionnaire and set it up correctly. The stories is both what the client tells as well as what the doctor tells about the firm. So this is a scripted and non-scripted back and forth conversation um, with the client inside of this process. Stage three is the options. Again, this is the doctor. And so now once the doctor has diagnosed the situation, they're then providing options. Um, so what are the, the prospects options at this point? They can do nothing, stick their head in the sand, go to jail. They can, um, uh, or lose their kid or lose their house or whatever, whatever it is, right? Depending on the practice area. Uh, they can choose option A, they can choose option B, they can choose option C. One of the options is hiring the firm or having a lawyer help them do this. Of course, your firm is the firm you want them to have. We don't have time to get into the options today. It's a whole nother structure, okay? Um, but know that that's kind of the next step. The next step is we have to, after we've shown them their options, we've heard their story, we've diagnosed what's going on, we've told them our story about the firm, we've shared with them their options for prescription, for solving their problem, taking away their pain. Now we have to ask for the order. I will tell you that probably the number one uh, failing of small law, eh, I guess any law, I'd probably go as far as saying any professional service practitioner. So lawyers, doctors, dentists, audiologists, ophthalmologists, uh, you know, accountants, when they get in front of a prospect, the one thing that they fail to do most often is ask for the order. They don't, they simply don't say, can we do business together in any form or any structure? 
They just don't do it at all. They kind of say, well, what do you want to do? Or how about you take it home? You know, the best is they say, I tell you what, I don't want to make you feel pressured in any way. How about you just take this paperwork home and call me back tomorrow and let me know what you think. Okay. That's craziness. And we're going to talk about why that's craziness in a second, but, but that's craziness. So if I could get you to fix number four, a lot of things change. And number five is overcome objections. So there are going to be objections, uh, lots of them for lots of different reasons. Um, um, but notice I didn't talk about price in here at all yet. Like that didn't happen yet necessarily. Now we'll, we'll, we'll that'll, that'll happen inside of step number four. Um, and, and price objection will happen, but we don't get into that until step number five. So to be really clear, like um, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, but we don't want to talk about price on, on the initial phone call. So when people call on their price shopping, the answer is no, I don't give price over the phone. Every case is unique. When people walk in the door and the first thing they want to know is price. Well, that's okay. The attorney is going to meet with you. The consultant is going to meet with you, whatever it is. And we're going to get you the, we'll figure out exactly where you are. We never talk about price until the right time inside of this process. Listen, I practice what I preach. We had a prospect the other day um, who was being a lawyer, forgive me. And I don't mean that you know, about all of you. I just mean sometimes lawyers go all lawyer, right? You get what I mean. Um, and so they were like, well, listen, I'm absolutely not gonna have this consultation with you about my firm unless you tell me what it costs. And we said, well, it doesn't cost anything. It's free. We're, we're going to invest. You got to be, you got to invest your time. Well, no, no, no. What does your program cost? And wanted all the details about that because he didn't want to waste his time if he thought it was going to be more expensive. And, and my reps sent me the recording of the call and said, listen, I hope you don't mind, but I just told him, listen, we don't, that's not what we do. And I, and I told him, he said, Mr. James teaches that we don't talk about price over the phone. How could I possibly give you any kind of a price range zone or anything? We don't even know what we're up against with what's going on in your firm. There's no way for us to do that. And the guy said, well, if you can't do that, then I don't want to meet with you. And they said, well, then it sounds like we're probably not a fit and we wish you the very best. And if you change your mind and you'd like to come back and talk to us and figure out where you're at, great. And they let them off the hook and they were worried. It doesn't happen often in our world, but it happens. They were worried that I was going to get upset because I let, you know, a potential new client go. I, I was thrilled. I wanted to throw a party. Are you kidding me? This is exactly what I've been talking about all these years. You just can't invite that prospect into your world. I, I mean, no disrespect. It's just Giving price over the phone doesn't make any sense because we haven't established the right structure. We haven't established exactly what's going on for them um, in their case. We don't know exactly what the price is going to be. And even if we do, all it's doing is doing a disservice between them and us because of the next point I'm going to get to in just a few minutes. Step six is we process the payment. Now, this is where the nurse comes back in. So the doctor has overcome all the objections. The nurse comes back in and the doctor leaves, okay? So the, the, they've overcome the objections. The client, new potential client says, yeah, I want to become a client. Great. Doctor shakes their hand. Obviously, the attorney or the, the attorney consultant shakes their hand and, and says goodbye. Now, to be clear, this is where, by the way, in between five and six, for those of you that use non-attorney consultants or wonder about using non-attorney consultants, Joe Jepson, I promised myself I would always make this clear every time I have this conversation. If you use a non-attorney consultant, this is where I suggest using an attorney 
to step back in and wrap the case. So the, the, the non-attorney consultant was the doctor. We now have an attorney stepping in and wrapping the case. What I mean is in Arizona, um, according to the opinion that I pulled about a firm who got in trouble for using non-attorney consultants or got in trouble for a lot of things, not necessarily not using non-attorney consultants, but one of the things in the opinion was that they couldn't use non-attorney consultants unless an attorney within a reasonable time period spoke to the client and made sure that everything was kosher, right? So the client had to speak to an attorney within a reasonable time period. We call it wrapping the case, which meant anytime a non-attorney consultant met with a new potential client and the, the potential client wanted to become a client, the attorney then stepped in and would and would say, you know, make sure that everything was done correctly and that answered any questions that they have. The attorney's job at this point, by the way, is to simply not screw it up, okay? Now, obviously, they gotta make sure that they're in the right case and, you know, we didn't give any advice and we did all the things we're supposed to do, but the biggest job is just not screw up what we just did. And I mean no disrespect, but some attorneys will just screw it up. Um, because they're not given direction and they think that they're supposed to go in there and solve this person's problem in the consultation room. That is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get them from the initial consultation to the point of hiring the firm. We can't help them until they hire the firm. If we go into the consultation room and we give them advice, we are going to screw up the opportunity for them to hire the firm, period. Okay. Um, so the nurse comes back and processes the payment, all right? Uh, and they, the nurse will review the initial consultation uh, agreement or the whatever you call it, fee agreement. Um, I call it client services agreement, whatever you call it. They're gonna, they're, the nurse, the receptionist is going to come back and is going to now review that paperwork. Uh, and then from there, the, you know, the nurse is going to take them and walk them out the door and say thank you. And then like this step seven is really the ongoing training. Like, um, it's, it's, it's just flat out, this is great, but if we don't do one through six and train on one through six regularly, uh, your office isn't going to operate correctly. So this is why you have to invest either your time or other people's time into making sure uh, your staff is trained regularly. So that's the initial consultation strategy I talked about. Um, now we're going to get into the nuts and bolts. We're going to be covering today this section about asking for the order. That's what we're gonna be covering today. So I'm gonna, I've kind of given you this 30,000 foot view. Now I'm gonna take a deep dive and we're gonna be stepping into this moment after the doctor heard this prep, you know, the, the attorney consultant or the attorney prepped for the situation by reviewing the questionnaire. They, they uh, told their stories, they, heard the client stories or heard the client stories, told their stories, they gave them their options, and now they're asking for the order. So this is what we're gonna try to fix today. So just the art of asking is enough, but here's a big but. This is why this is big. Stop. I'm not gonna go any further, or you shouldn't go any further, I guess it's better said that way, until you fully buy into this single premise. Here's the premise. Okay, type your answer in. You got to do this, okay? Do you believe if somebody is in need of your services in your community and you offer those services that you are the best firm for them to choose to hire? Yes or no? 
Great. Good. Okay, so we get that premise. So if we understand that premise and we truly believe we're the best firm and we're guarded by all these ethical guidelines from the bar associations, your law, whatever the oath that you took, in my opinion, if you don't do everything you ethically and in, with integrity can do to convince that person to hire your firm and you let them go off and be helped by another firm, then you're letting them fundamentally be helped by somebody who's less qualified to help them than you are. And to a certain extent, that feels like an ethical breach to me because now we've not done everything we can to convince them to hire our firm. They've gone and got help somewhere else at a lower quality and put whatever financial situation or life situation at risk. And so I really feel strongly about the fact that you have to believe that you're the very best firm to do this. And if you are, then what you have to believe is that we need to do everything ethically and with integrity to ensure that they make this decision. The reality is that oftentimes in law, just like when I was in the funeral business, people are in usually an emotional state. They're oftentimes not in the right psychological position to make decisions. And so we know what's best for them. You know what's best for them, that you know what they need to do or what they're going to struggle with if they don't do it. And if they're going to hire a firm, you know what's best for them is to hire your firm. So we need to use psychology to our advantage. Some people look at it as manipulation. I do not look at it that way. I simply look at using the tools that are available to us at, to our advantage. Let me give you an example of the this is this is what we're going to this concept of yes okay so let me frame it for you so we're talking about we believe you're the very best we talk about we think we have an ethical position to do it now here's why the psychology works is as far as i'm going to go into this i highly recommend a book called influence if you want to read more about this but the general premise is let me tell you illustrated by a story so if you've heard my um, recordings. You've heard me talk about this in the past. So it's worth repeating for anybody who hasn't heard it or you're new in my world. Um, the natural enemy of the turkey is something called the pole cat. It's like, you know, a bobcat or whatever. So the turkey will defend its young and its nest from the pole cat viciously. Um, but the infant turkeys, the chicks, um, when they're hatched, they make a certain cooing sound. And because turkeys are notoriously, they don't have great sight uh, from the perspective of being able to see a lot of stuff, they, they use their sound receptors very well. And so they will naturally uh, be attracted to this cooing sound. That's how they will kind of search for each other, the mom and the chicks. Okay. So scientists said, I wonder if we could take the polecat and introduce it into the um, turkey's environment um, as a stuffed animal and see what they would do. So they did that, and the turkey recognized the polecat and tore it to shreds. And then they said, well, I wonder if we put a, recur a, a recording uh, on a loop of this cooing sound that the chicks made on the stuffed polecat, would it make a difference? And ironically, when they did this, the turkey actually started to nurture the polecat. So same, not same, but identical polecat stuffed 
not no cooing, then with the cooing, no cooing, the polecat was torn apart by the turkey. Cooing, the turkey brought the polecat under its wing to nurture it. What we discovered is animals are triggered by sounds, sights, smells, different things. There are some things that are so powerful that they're triggering mechanisms. And in sales, there are triggering mechanisms. One of the hundreds of triggering mechanisms is this idea of using a single word called the yes question or yes answer. We want to hear this word yes. And so when I craft the structure of the closing process, this step where we're now asking for the order, I don't want to just ask for the order. So like I said, attorneys oftentimes service professionals in general, don't ask for the order at all. They send people home to go make the decision because they don't want to feel like a used car salesman. Okay, I get it. Uh, the second way they do it is if they do ask for the order, they kind of do it offhandedly or they just say, so what should we do? So do you want to get started? They, like, they just don't really know what to say, right? Or they, they're you know, a good old boy or good old girl and they just kind of are real casual about it. And maybe that works. And Maybe it does. And again, if you have a high or 100% referral-based firm, you probably, you probably don't need to worry about this all that much. But if you've got marketing going on in your firm at all, uh, if you have anybody walking out the door that's not hiring your firm, um, we've got to do this. I just want to frame this for you. So let me check on my time. I'm all right. I want to frame this for you. So somebody raised their hand and said they were interested. Well, they got a referral. They watched a TV ad, new pay-per-click. I don't care. They raised their hand. They said they were interested. They scheduled an appointment with you. They got in their car, either in the blistering heat, the rain, the cold, the whatever. They left the comfort of wherever they were, after work, during work, on their lunch break, on a Saturday, whatever. Got in their car, drove all the way over to you. Actually have a problem that you can help with. The help that you provide them with will way outweigh the investment that they're going to give you because we all know you don't charge nearly enough for what you do. So the, we know the benefit way out exceeds the expense. And yet somehow, some way, they think you're credible, they believe you, they like you, and they leave your office without saying yes. And for some of you, that is as high as 80% of the people leave after that initial consultation and don't say yes, because if they, you're sending them away and the ones who hire today, they're literally begging you, no, 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 here, I'll pay you right now. For others, you're kind of doing a mediocre job and 50% of the people are hiring your firm, whether it's you or it's your uh, non-attorneys or it's your attorneys that are other associates that are meeting with your potential new clients and they're only doing it 50% of the time. For you that are the very best of the very best, um, maybe you're at 60, 70 or 80%. There's still an improvement to be had if we can build a structure, all right, around this yes principle. So I'm not going to ask you if you, you, you've kind of got this, but I'm I'm figuring you guys have got this in your head, okay? That you, you're, you're bought into this premise. All right, seven step structure of the close. Let's go. So here's the idea. I've got 15 minutes left. I'll ask, answer questions at the end. I'm sure this is gonna go all the way to the end of the 15 minutes. First step is we're gonna ask permission. So 
we have left the options. They've chosen what option they want. That we've diagnosed the problem, we've prescribed an option, and they've said, "I want to hire a lawyer to do this, and I want. I think I want to hire your firm." But they're like, "Well, you know, of course. How much does it cost? I don't know. It depends on how much it costs. Whatever." We've gotten through that, and we are now on to the point where you have to tell them what it's going to be to do business with you. So first, we ask permission. And the permission is, and it's an example, you have to write what's comfortable for you and you have to say it in your own words. And remember, I'm about to sound like a sham wow guy, but you don't have to. You know, I'm going to say, would it be okay if I shared with you how our firm can best aid you to accomplish the options you chose? Right? We're looking for a yes. You could say, you know, hey, Julie, is it okay if I tell you what the next steps are? Whatever works for you, okay? This is personalized, all right? But step one is we have to ask for permission. Why do we have to ask for permission? Well, psychologically speaking, when they give you permission to tell you what they're going to do, it changes the paradigm in the sales structure. Two, what are they answering the permission question with? Yes. They're saying yes out of their mouth. By the way, head nods don't count. Head nods don't count. If they give you a head nod, right, your job is to just wait and go, they're going to go, oh, yes, yes, yes. Or you're going to say, is that a yes? And they're going to say, oh, yes, yes. You need them to say the words yes. Head nods don't count. Okay? Now, step two. Okay, step two. We are going to ask the yes questions. Now it says questions. I'm going to share one question with you. By the way, this is where you're going to have homework because we ain't going to be able to do this in a workshop format today. We'll be here way too long and it's too cumbersome. This is what we do at Partners Club, but you'll want to make sure you come up with your own yes questions. I'm going to give you one example. All right. So this is the, the yes questions inside of this, I probably should have called it something a little different, is really we're telling them the features and benefits of what we're going to do. Let me show you. So one of the things that we're going to say is, so we're going to, we've, I've said to Julie, hey, Julie, is it all right if I tell you, do I have permission to tell you, you know, how we can do business together, how we can help you? Julie says, yes. I say, great. Well, the first thing we're going to do, or I might say, there are three ways that we're going to help you. And the first one is, we're going to hold your hand as you walk through this process and use our expertise to navigate any potential landmines of your case. It makes sense um, well, that we ensure is together there. Does it make sense that we ensure you're not alone during this journey, right? Or it makes sense that we're not alone during this journey, right? Again, I'm looking for a yes question, but here's what I've done. So you're going to hold their hand. You're going to give them good customer service. You're going to make sure you go to court with them. You're going to do all these things with them. There's a bunch of things you do. If you're a bankruptcy attorney, you do some things. If you're a, a DUI attorney, if you're a family law attorney, if you're a PI attorney, doesn't matter. But what does matter is that you have to verbalize it. So you can't just assume that because you give good customer service or because you hold their hand and make sure that they don't have to worry about anything, that they know that. And they truly actually don't care about all of the other details of the stuff that you do. 
what they care about is what's important to them. And so one of the questions that I propose is some version of the customer service, client service, hold their hand kind of a question. So we're couching it. So let me give you an example. In my world, if I was meeting with a new potential client, I would say, hey, I've taken all of my 20 years of experience and I've boiled it down into 12 modules that show attorneys how to build systems in their law firm. Does it make sense that I would take all of the knowledge I have and boil it down into 12 modules and deliver them one at a time for you so you're not gonna feel overwhelmed by the information? Yes, that's a yes question. But I told them what our service is, right? Then I would say, you know, does it make, so the next thing that we've done is we've assembled a like-minded group of peers of entrepreneurial minded attorneys so you can work together. For us, it makes sense. I don't know if it does for you. Does it make sense that it, we put you together with peers that are actually running the same race that you're running so you can relate with each other? Yes. Okay. So I'm again, putting kind of my features and benefits of my program into yes questions. For you, it would be, um, we're going to make sure that we attend every court hearing with you. We're going to make sure that we answer all of the judge's questions and anything that the opposing counsel throws our way, we're going to field it for you and make sure that it's organized and structured so you can understand it. Does it make sense that we would boil everything down so it's organized and structured so you can understand it? I just made that up, okay? But you have to make up your own and you want to come up with three of them. I don't want four. I don't want two. I'm okay with five. I'm okay with five, but it takes a long time to get through five. I would prefer three if you can come up with it. Three things that is kind of roll off the tongue, said as easily as possible, and we're just going to move right on. But it's going to position your services in a way that they say, yeah, I think that that works for me. Ultimately, I want them to say yes. Now, this is arguably is the hardest thing for you to do. This is going to take you the most time to come up with, but you want three basic questions. And the goal at the end is for them to walk away having a reasonable idea of what you're going to do for them if they hire your firm. And two, having said yes to each and every one of them. If we do this right, we said yes, and the initial uh, consultation back here for permission. Then they said yes to three questions here. So now we've gotten four yeses, okay? Four yeses so far. Next, we're gonna summarize your benefits and ask the comprehensive question. Now, you can say it however you'd like, but here's what I mean. After we've given them the three things, and they've said yes, the three benefit statements, and they've said yes, now we're gonna summarize it. So it, so when I'm done, they've said, yes, 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 great. Now I'm gonna put it all together to make sure I don't leave any stone unturned. So to be clear, we're gonna hold your hand through the process. Use our expertise to avoid any potential landmines and ensure we hold the court and opposing counsel accountable to obtain the best possible outcome from you. Does it sound like our services to cover everything? Does it sound like that service covers everything you're concerned about? Yes. Does it sound like a comprehensive program? Yes. Again, whatever language you want to use. But basically, I took what we are going to do and I summarized it for them. I said, we're going to hold your hand. We're going to use our expertise to avoid landmines. And we're going to ensure the court and the opposing counsel um, were accountable to obtain the best possible out outcome for you. That's what we told them that we were going to do, right? That's 
the three things for this particular case type that we were going to do. I think this was a family law one that I did. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All I wanted to do was tighten it up into a tight loop and say, does this sound like comprehensive? Or does it sound like it's going to solve your problems? We're looking for a yes. If they say something like, well, I don't know. It depends on how much it costs. No, no, no. I, yeah, Mrs. Smith, I get that. And we have to talk about that eventually. But for right now, the services that we offer, does it sound like it'll solve all the concerns you have? If they say no, and they've got other concerns, you'll need to address those right here or now. But if you listen to them carefully and you're in the right case type for the right solution, your diagnostic was right and your problem solving was right, you're not going to get this wrong. The rest of the structure set this up. So you're asking these right questions in the order that you need to ask them in. And you're going to get a yes here 95% of the time. Remember, remember, and this is really important, lawyers love outliers, okay? In sales, we don't love outliers. We love bell curves. Look, we're not, I want to get everybody that I want. And, and the key is that you want those clients you don't want. The ones you don't want, you don't want, okay? We're going to, we're not going to even, we're going to let them off the hook. But the ones that you want, we want to get every one of them. But grandma taught me a long time ago that Christ couldn't get them all, neither will we. I mean, that's just a reality, folks. You're not going to get everybody. That's just not how it works. If you get everybody, I'm going to tell you that you're either not marketing enough, you're not charging enough, something's wrong if you're getting everybody. So if we go by that premise, okay, we don't want to deal with outliers because we're not after 100%. We're after like 70 to 80%, somewhere in that mix, 70 or 80% of the people we want who are qualified, I want to say yes, okay? And so I want them to hire the firm is what I mean. And so the problem is if you go changing this structure, to try to get the other 20 to 25% of the people who you want who say no, if you go changing the structure, what's going to happen is you're not going to get everybody that you want. In other words, you're not going to get the 70 or 80%. You're liable to get 30, 40, or 50% because you tried to chase the additional 20 to 25%. Um, yeah. Okay. Joe, your most, your most liberating epiphany was realizing your hire rate was too high. I agree. Yeah. So don't chase the outliers. We're building this structure for you for the bell curve. In sales, bell curves is where the money's at. Okay. Now I want your bell curve to be between 70 and 80% of the clients you want. Um, I don't want it to be between 35 and 50%. That's, that's low. I want it to be between, you know, 70 and 80%. If it's north of 80, I'm not going to be upset with it. If it's at 100, as Joe's point is, you're probably, there's something off, right? Okay, so, sorry, I derailed there for a second. Big point. Next, ask permission to give them the investment. So, we've now told them what we're going to do. All right, we've told them what we're going to do. And they've said yes to all these questions. Now we're going to give them, ask permission. So it's going to be like, is it okay if we get into dollars and cents of the relationship? Whatever. It's just like, hey, is it all right if we talk dollars and cents now? Because, you know, we're going to have to charge for this. Whatever way it is that you ask the question, the important thing is you get a yes. Okay, we're getting a yes. And now we're up to six yeses. Six yeses. All right. Next, the guarantee statement. Uh, before you all freak out on me and tell me lawyers can't make guarantees, look, I get it. 
you all tell me it. You all tell me your bar association. I never let it go. You can make guarantees without making guarantees. Like you can make soft guarantees. You can make hard guarantees if you want. Some attorneys do make real hard guarantees. Some attorneys use real soft guarantees. Like, you know, we guarantee that we're going to give excellent service, but there's no real guarantee of money back or anything. I, I believe you'll be best served if you use a real guarantee. Um, um, and here's what it kind of looks like. Uh, and this is how I kind of say it. And I even say it if I'm in a closing situation with attorneys. If you're like me, when I make a big investment, I want to know insurance that things are done right. That's why we offer a seven-day money-back guarantee that states if you're not completely satisfied with our service, simply let us know and we'll refund your money. Assuming all is well, we'll continue to serve you well. Does that sound like a fair way to do business? Now, again, this is a seven-day money-back guarantee. Very short time frame, money-back on a law case like this. I'd want to do a very short time frame um, for lots of different reasons. I don't, want to, I don't want to guarantee an outcome because you really can't, right, in law. But you can guarantee that your, sat, your, client, your, your uh, client service is going to be guaranteed. Why not? Um, you don't want to do money-back? Fine. Take the money back off. But you can still put a guarantee on there. It's a huge psychological advantage to offer a guarantee in some way. So you've asked them if you can get into the dollars and cents, but notice I didn't get into the dollars and cents. I got into the guarantee, right? And I asked them if it was a fair way to do business, and they said, yes, I'm on seven or eight yeses, right? Okay, next, tell the investment and ask for the order. Again, this is where most attorneys, if I just had you do this and this alone and did nothing else, you probably fix your close rate. If I just get you to ask for the order, you'll fix your close rate, all right? Or at least you'll see a nice bump in it. Tell the investment. So, so if I'm a flat fee firm, first of all, I'm not gonna assume that they know what that means. So I'm gonna say our flat fee services is, you won't be charged for every phone call, email, fax we receive. That's why we call it a flat fee. There are no extra or hidden charges. Our staff will hold your hand, we'll use our expertise, and we'll manage the court and opposing counsel to, uh, for a solid outcome of your case. And then I ask a funny little question at the end. Is there any reason why we can't move forward today? Now, is that a yes question or a no question? Well, that's a no question, okay? And it's really weird, but it's a pattern interrupt. And what, you know the answer I get to that question more often than not? I get a yes. Because they say yes, because I've trained them to say yes. But now they're saying yes to a no question. I go, oh, you don't want to do it? Oh, no, 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 no. I, yeah, I think we should step forward. I do it as a pattern interrupt. I, I do it, maybe I do it partially for fun. I want to see how well my psychology works. But I, 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 it's because psychologically, I want them to give them the opportunity. They finally get to say no, right? We can step forward right now. Great, we've moved them out of their trance. They can step forward. Again, I don't know what your fees are. I don't, every law firm is different to an extent, the way you structure your fees. You have to figure out how you're gonna say this, but you have to tell them what their fees are. Substantiate why you charge what you charge to an extent. If it's a flat fee, certainly. If it's a retainer, different story, different substantiation. And then you have to ask for the order. And you can ask it any way you want. If you want to ask just a yes question, so we can we move forward today? Go ahead. Ask a yes question. I don't have a problem with it. This isn't, this is probably more fun for me than it is anything else. Is there any reason why we can't move forward today? I don't know that I have any psychological evidence that that's the best way to do it. I don't care. Just ask for the order. Okay? That's the key. Step six, ask for the order. Tell the investment, ask for the order. Uh, step, step seven. Um, huh. That's interesting. So step seven is repeated. So what happens is 
I had them out of order somehow. There you go. Richard James screwed up. So this, would, you, would it be okay if I share with you how our firm can best aid you to accomplish the option you chose? This is actually step one, right? So this is where the ask permission step is. And um, how that got into that stage right there, I, I got a fupa and I reviewed this like not more than 30 minutes before we presented to make sure I got it right. So there you go. The most important part is the step, the step seven structure the close is making sure you get this step set up for your payment plan. Okay. So once they, once they um, are going to pay your bill, now we're going to set up the payment plan. So I don't know why that's there. We're going to fix it right now. Um, no, we're not. We're not going to do that while we're live. It'll be fixed for uh, the recording. I'll get the right slides up there. Go figure. Anyway, this is the structure of the collections process. So we're just going to get, this isn't a yes step, okay? The yes step is um, all the steps I gave before this. On this step is we're moving into the collection process. We just want to make sure they agree to whatever way they're going to pay their bill. If they pay it in full, great. If they're a contingency, you don't have to worry about it. But if they have a payment plan, this is where we're going to make sure we get the payment plan set up. So going back real quick. Going back. There it is. So if I go all the way back, we got one yes. We got three yeses. That's four if you only have three questions. We got five yeses. We got six yeses. We got seven yeses. We got eight yeses. Okay. We got eight yeses all the way through this process. All right. And inside of these yeses, there was little psychological setups all the way through. The seventh uh, is in the collections process. It's not in the necessarily of the yes, but it's part of the problem, part of the challenge. Okay, so I've got some questions. We're past the we're past the two o'clock time. Let's move on to questions. Uh, we offer 15 days on our website, and no one ever invokes it. We have not tried initial interview. Yeah, John, um, I love it on the website because it's a guarantee. Um, on the website, uh, the challenge is um, that you're going to, so, okay, so we're trying to convert two different things. So on the website, our goal is to convert the traffic on the site to a lead. So adding the guarantee gives them a feel as if they have a less of a risk to take the next step. Now, I would argue with you that, um, that you're maybe going a bridge too far in your website. I don't know, and I would have to A-B test it to know for sure, but I would wonder if that guarantee statement of the 15 days is going a bridge too far, only because the website is goal is to convert the traffic to a lead they may not be ready to make a buying decision just yet. And we may be scaring away the skimmers. Okay. Because we're making them feel like it's a buying decision. And that, that may be what, what you want to do. And I don't know, and I'd have to cross test it, but, but yes, putting it in the initial consultation um, will help increase the conversions at the initial consultation. David, can you do this on an initial phone consultation? So, uh, David, to be clear, what you mean is uh, either they called into the firm right away, 
and they said to you that you're, uh, they want to talk to you about hiring the firm and you guys set an appointment with them or you held the consult right then and there. Is that correct? You set an appointment. Okay, so you set an appointment and you have the phone consultation. So the answer is absolutely. So first of all, my business is no different than your business. 100% of our selling opportunities, now that's not necessarily true, but 95% of our selling opportunities are done over the phone. So our first opportunity to sell a new prospective client in my firm is done over the phone. So we only do this over the phone and we follow this procedure. So yes, I would absolutely do it over the phone. Joe, also putting on the website makes it subject to advertising rules. Yeah. Again, bar association to bar association, Joe, I agree. It may, be, it may not be a problem in John's world in North Carolina, but um, I, I just wonder, I don't know that, that the back to the guarantee statement on the website, I like it. I just, I just don't know if I've had them go a bridge too far. I know when um, I test ads and I use the free, when I use the free book, if I put the if I put the consultation first with the free book second, I hurt my conversion. If I put the free book first with the consultation second, I don't hurt my conversion. If I put the free book first and drop the consultation, I do improve my, con my conversion. Um, that's been my test, certainly in TV and some pay-per-click stuff. So I do wonder how that'll affect it. You don't flaunt them to the bar. Yeah, I get it. All right, any other questions on this? Did anybody get stuck on the yes questions? No? 205, about five minutes over. Okay, so the process, if you have questions and you wanna schedule a time with us, you can. Again, we don't sell on webinars, we promise. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm gonna create a, a non-selling guarantee. We just don't do it. I do my best to teach on these things. Um, and so that's just never gonna happen in our world where if you're a guest around here, you're not gonna be sold anything um, because I just want you to know kind of what we're all about before we take the next step. If you have questions, you can schedule a PPGP with us. Um, if you're an existing client and you have got questions, you can put it on the queue and I'll answer your question there. Um, if you, aren't sure how to use the yes questions or you feel it was a bridge farther than you wanted to go because you're not comfortable with it, um, just sit down and ask yourself, do you have a structure for your initial consultation? Like, I'm sure you already follow a structure, but have you ever sat down and thought about what is the structure you already have and how can you change it to start acquiring, convincing more of the new potential clients you're meeting with that you want to have hire your firm? to hire your firm. Okay, my name is Richard James. I'm going once, going twice, going three times. Okay, enjoy the day, make it a great day, and you're welcome, John. Uh, enjoy all of the goodness that comes along with higher conversion rates. Remember, higher conversion rates leads to additional gross revenue, additional gross revenue leads to additional net income, additional net income allows you to do two things. One, it lets you help more people, and two, it allows you to buy your freedom. You need net income to buy your freedom. The way we get net income or the road to it is getting more gross revenue. You wanna get more gross revenue? Convince more people you're meeting with to hire your firm. Make it a great day.